0: cinema adventure a movie podcast where every week we sit down and have a discussion about a movie you're listening to our wes anderson series west wednesdays this week we're talking about the royal tenenbaums i'm your butterfly collecting library book reading fishing enthusiast host Aiden Walker.
1: Uh, I am Blake Peterson, your other co-host, and I don't know if I have that large of an assortment of hobbies, so I'm just going to put the spotlight on Aiden today.
0: You can't be a tenant bum.
1: I just can't do it. I'm so sorry. Yeah,
0: you, you can't join. I
1: wish I were more talented, can't but join the family. I just can't. You know, it's hard. <laughs> it's a real shame. Yeah.
0: That actually, uh, the first thing I want to talk about, about this movie. What? I I enjoy this in Wes Anderson films, and it's that he really romanticizes hobbies and free time. And it makes me feel good, you know? I think I think a lot of times people feel bad about their hobbies, and they're like, I shouldn't be doing this and enjoying this because I have more work to do. I guess we're in college, and I feel like that's something that happens a lot right now. Everybody's yeah. like, i got to do my schoolwork. I can't have time for my butterfly collection. <laughs> There's something about it, especially the opening minutes of this movie, where it just shows all the, the three Tenenbaum children and their different hobbies. You know, Margot's a playwright, and... I don't remember. It's like Richie is a tennis player, and he collects toy cars. And mm-hmm. then I just, yeah. I just love that it, it always, it makes it look like they're all having a really good time, and it seems like their hobby is a really essential part of their personality.
1: Mm-hmm. I feel like, like Wes that. Anderson movies. I don't know. Like I feel like it's a recurring thing to like showcase people indulging in hobbies or just like kind of various frivolous activities, and almost like putting it in a sort of montage. I don't know if that's just something I'm like imagining, but I feel like that's definitely. An Anderson staple. He definitely likes his montages. Oh, yeah. He likes his fun little tweet hobbies, you know. That's just how it is.
0: You know, I think I, I want to come out right out of the gate right now and just <sighs> tell you, I am not the biggest fan of The Royal Tenenbaums. It's really? not my favorite Anderson mm-hmm. film. I kinda wish that they had done a Moonrise Kingdom on this one and had the whole movie been about them as the little kids that you see in the montage in the beginning. I think I would have enjoyed that more.
1: Yeah, no, I enjoyed it a lot for the most part. Although I don't really I feel like it's been so long since I've attempted to look through Anderson's filmography, so I don't like necessarily remember how much I liked everything. But for the most part, I mean, I liked it a lot more than Bottle Rocket and Rushmore. Do you want to give, like, just a brief plot summary for those of them who might not know? Gosh, I can about. try. Um, yeah, I feel like he'll be better than me, honestly. This, uh,
0: <laughs> I think, more than his other films, it really is lacking structure and plot. Don't you think? I feel like this movie kind of just happens. I, I, I might I be wrong. Like... I just maybe I just fell into it too much and just kind of got yeah. lost in it. But I guess the movie's about family. They're the Royal Tenenbaums. Yes. Well, they're <laughs> not the Royal Tenenbaums. They're just the Tenenbaums. There's their mother, who's Ethelyn Tenenbaum, who's played by Angelica Houston. Ben Stiller, who's Chaz Tenenbaum, who's one of the sons. Gwyneth Paltrow, uh, who's an adopted daughter named Margot, and Luke Wilson, who is the other brother and his name is Richie Tenenbaum. Basically, their father was not a good dad and was absent for a lot of their childhood, and he's played by Gene Hackman, and his character's name is Royal Tenenbaum. (laughs) Royal tries to come back into their life when they're adults by faking stomach cancer. Basically, what ends up happening is they let him move back into the old family house, and then all the kids come back to be with their dad while he's supposedly dying. And it just kind of unfolds from there, and there's some... I want to say romance, but it makes me kind of wrinkle my nose. You know, there's some there's some sibling romance, although not biological as they yeah. assert multiple times. There is a suicide attempt. There's a dog dies as in almost every Anderson film, the guy really wants to kill those dogs. <laughs> you know, you've noticed that, right? Have you noticed I that? I haven't. Yeah. It's been so long yeah, since they, I've watched I other agree. They killed. He kills the dogs. The wow. dogs don't make
1: what's, it. What's Wes's problem? So he's, he's more dark. of a more of a cat person, you might say.
0: I was reading a review of this film in New Yorker, and they were saying that that Wes Anderson likes to have the death of dogs in his films <laughs> because it's a reminder that what's actually going on underneath, like the veneer of beautiful, shiny organization, is actually like dark, like reminders of death I mean it's kind of true right there's a pretty horrible suicide attempt in this movie and everybody is like pretty terrible to each other but it looks very nice
1: yeah that's for me what I kind of like a little bit more about this movie versus like the previous two Anderson movies we watched I feel like it it retains this very shiny pretty organized veneer and look but at the same time I feel like it's storyline's pretty substantial for the most part and so you don't feel as though maybe like the style's better than the story because that's kind of how I felt with the other two movies so I feel like for this one at least it does feel a little more balanced to me I do still kind of struggle with I feel like because everything is so ultra stylized that even when Anderson's trying to be sincere I still feel like he's half joking so I don't know if that'll like change as we go through his filmography more but I feel like in general what I've seen so far is I can't Even when he's trying to go for something like emotionally moving or whatever, I just never really believe it as much as I probably should be. I don't know if you feel that way at all. I totally agree with you. Yeah.
0: Yeah, 100%. I think it it stands in comparison with his most recent movie that's out, which is Grand Budapest, which does have some really emotional moments yeah. at the end. And the, they wait. They wait for the build up and the payoff to that. And it is affecting because, you you know, the characters in that film are really goofy and weird, but you do really fall in love with them. And they do go on such kind of an epic journey that, that when there is that sad twist, which is actually just kind of told through exposition, it is kind of hard hitting. I always forget how melancholy the end of the Grand Budapest Hotel is. But I, I like that. That that one makes it to those leaps, and it is believable. Mm-hmm. But I don't think this one quite makes it there, like yeah, you said.
1: No, but it definitely is a huge improvement to me over Rushmore. Because I feel like Rushmore, I couldn't really stand Jason Schwartzman's character. Whereas I felt like I did like the characters a lot more here. Even though I feel like they're still like not super well drawn to me. I still feel like they're a little bit more of a cartoon than they are a three-dimensionalized creation. But I still took to them a lot. I especially liked like Angelica Houston and Gene Hackman here. They kind of have this authenticity that I feel like the film lacks in general. And I also really liked Gwyneth Paltrow's character in that. I think she is probably the most caricatured of a character, but she's so odd that I kind of loved her anyway.
0: She's odd, but you've probably met people kind of like her. Yeah. He does this in all of his movies. His mm-hmm. characters are weird as heck, but they're real. They're real people who oh, you've sure. met. Even though they're probably a little bit goofier than in real life.
1: No, definitely. But, but I do like, I mean, for the most part, even though they aren't super well drawn, I still feel like Because the whole point of the movie is kind of having all these characters come to terms with how their dysfunctional childhood affected them. You know, having their father leave and not really having his approval versus kind of early in the movie. They talk about how Houston's character kind of she like celebrated their talents, but she also kind of exploited them in a way because she like wrote a book and really like put this big spotlight on them when they were growing up. So all the kids have this kind of tug of war between not having this approval and then having too much approval and thinking they're great but also not thinking they're great. So it's like this weird push-pull, but you can see that it's, you know, had like a lasting effect, you know, just throughout their lives. Like Margo, Paltrow's character, kind of promiscuous. She's been smoking since she's 11. She's like having a severe bout of writer's block, and Chaz kind of resents his father, and then like, Because, like, his wife recently died, that paired with his father's lack of influence in his life. He's become very overprotective of his sons. And then Richie, he kind of is conflicted by that, like, his lack of his father's role in his life. So he's not doing great with this tennis. Also, the fact that he's in love with his adopted sister is also giving him a hard time. So all these characters are kind of struggling with all this inner turmoil that they kind of have to come to terms with by the end of the movie. Which I feel like I don't know if they necessarily do so conclusively, but they definitely do have a bit of an arc for the most part.
0: I think that Ben Stiller's character at the end of the movie is going to be a little more normal. I hope so. (laughs) It seems like he's going to get a hold of himself. After his wife dies, he becomes totally obsessed with safety and runs all these drills with his (laughs) little to his two little boys, his <laughs> Poor brothers, kids, who he makes dress in the same red tracksuit <laughs> that he wears and they all have curly hair. Yeah. And he makes them wake up at ridiculous hours of the night to practice it, like fire drills <laughs> in their home and he's totally paranoid. Yeah. It seems it? like it seems like he's gonna be a little bit better by the end
1: Hopefully. Yeah. Isn't there like one point too where like someone asks the kids like how much they Are, like, exercising, and they're, like, 16 hours a week. No, they
0: say 16 times a week.
1: Oh, okay. Even then, 16 hours would be crazy. Very
0: crazy. 16 times
1: I mean, I guess that could be 16 hours a week in a way, if it's an hour workout, you know. (laughs) Dang. That's multiple times a day still. That's (sighs) wild. That's so bad. I could not do that.
0: Yeah, no, thank you. What did you think of Alec Baldwin as the narrator?
1: Oh, I kind of, like, I couldn't remember, because I first heard his voice, and I couldn't remember if he was actually in it. So I kind of waited for him for a while and then i realized like oh i think he's just the narrator but i like him as a narr- i mean i think alec baldwin's like problematic and stuff but he definitely has a good voiceover voice oh,
0: yeah. the root of my question was not meant to be oh alec baldwin he's problematic what do you think of him as the narrator but i just like um, to point it out <laughs> yeah it's true yeah no he does have such a recognizable voice he I does. think it, it fits yeah Maybe we should talk a little bit about the structure of this film. This is, uh-huh. you know, Wes Anderson likes to do this. He likes to break up his movies into chapters, like a book. He yeah. did it with, well, more like a play with Rushmore. Yeah, this one's this one's definitely broken up, and it's meant to to read like a book. Every time there's a, a new, I want, it's like a new actor, like a new scene. It'll show a page from a book, and it'll it'll have like a two to sentence descriptor of what is happening in the next scene that you're about to see. Like, oh royal and Etheline walk in the park and there's children swinging on the trees in the background and then you see them like right after that and it'll be like chapter three or chapter four or something yeah and he he breaks up a lot of his films like this he also does this in grand budapest hotel i know for sure he might do it in one of the other ones there's a similar pacing technique that he uses in uh the life aquatic too. But I'm not sure if there's chapter names or not, but they do have the the one character who sings all the David Bowie songs in oh, another language.
1: Haven't seen that movie, so I guess I'm going to find out. <laughs> uh, that one's next. Yeah, it's next. It's inescapable.
0: Inescapable. Yeah,
1: it definitely the way it is structured, I think, adds to how organized his movies feel. Like you just, everything is so methodical. So it only makes sense that he kind of divides it into these chapters. And I think it also adds to kind of the whimsy because you do see the first couple sentences of a chapter, and then it happens, and it's like, oh, wow, movie magic. Movie magic. As it always is with his movies.
0: (laughs) I think it's interesting. We definitely see more of a development of his style here. There's more of the quick pan that he does to, like, quick pan to symmetrical shot, which we've discussed this as kind of a gimmick in the past. It's something to stand by. He does it a lot. You see more of a development of that, more of the the brightly colored people, some of the more pastel colored sets, you know, everything's very bright. The focus I feel like in his films is shifting away from knickknacks though, because hes it's all full of knickknacks, shifting away from like this cluttered organization. Every room in, in the Tenenbaum house is like filled with stuff, mm-hmm. right? Tons of toy cars, but they're all lined up just so, or lots of books, they're all stacked just so. And it all looks very kitschy and cluttered, but still organized and interesting. Whereas I feel like later on in films like Grand Budapest and the Darjeeling Limited, it's much cleaner cut and organized. Like, you're looking at a much more empty space that's just kind of laid out in a more, I want to say like a French kind of mise-en-scene, like, we've prepared the kitchen (laughs) for you to cook very well now kind of way. So I think it's interesting to look at, at that evolution. And I wonder if it says anything about the characters in the specific movies later to have something that's really cluttered versus something that's really clean. Yeah, because I've never thought of you it. You know, that way. Rushmore is also the same way. He's in those yeah. library spaces that are all really filled with books, and they're all yeah, yeah. So it's it's interesting to me that it, he's going a little, maybe a little bit lighter on the set dressing. Yeah,
1: you know? no, I feel like definitely visually, The Royal Tenenbaums is for me like kind of the beginning of like the the very refined way anderson aesthetic i feel like bottle rocket and rushmore you kind of see him building toward this style that we have become really familiar with over the years but i think the end of is like the first that you really really feel it and it's very solidified and everything i feel like i mean you have a little bit of that in rushmore but you definitely have that sense here of like every shot is extremely composed and every single set took forever to make and i I've always appreciated that with this movie because you definitely can feel the craftsmanship that went into how it just looks on the camera. I like it in that regard, just how composed it is.
0: Do you have a favorite character in this movie? Was there one that really stood out? Mm. I mean, you already said Margot. Is that?
1: <laughs> I don't know if she's my favorite, though. I'd say my favorite is Royal just because I feel like he's in this world of everything looks very artificial. And the characters, for the most part, are also pretty artificial. But I feel like I he was so tangible to me. I think it also helps, too, that... Hackman and even Houston as well since they are a little bit older they don't have like this they're not like all these beautiful porcelain young people they kind of have wrinkles and so it's almost like this imperfection in this perfect world so you have that plus like you kind of know their respective persona from other movies they've done and so you kind of take that into consideration here and so they just feel more well-rounded to me and you could kind of feel Morrell's like a very imperfect guy and he's made a lot of major mistakes in his life and I still I kind don't of feel like he's necessarily sympathetic. All that often, but you definitely can feel his pain as he's trying to reinsert himself into it, into these kids' lives because he knows the mistake he made. I really liked him a lot, and this was one of what's the Gene Hackman's last movie or one of his last ones? Because I know he's retired. He's been sure. retired for a really long time, so I think this is one of his final roles or his last. Don't quote me on that, but <laughs> I think it's a good way to go. It's an interesting. I kept being reminded too of because it is it's shot in New York, right? Mm-hmm. And I kept they kept going. I'd like notice certain spots would be areas that were also photographed in the French Connection, which is like a definitive Hackman movie. So I did like seeing him in these locations again, but like older and playing this completely different character.
0: That had to be intentional. Oh, it was
1: totally intentional. And I loved that just because they're kind of.
0: That's really interesting. I haven't seen the French Connection.
1: It's really good. It's like a classic. There's a great car chase in it. Great! I'll like that's not in my recommendations, but I'll recommend that right now. You can
0: recommend it to me. Yeah,
1: I recommend it to you just now. Go ahead and Wonderful. watch it. I'll watch love it. it. Thank you. Yeah. Thank who was who was your favorite character? Did you feel oh, man. the Hackman love?
0: You know what? I think that uh, Angelica Houston's character is my favorite. Oh totally! I thought she was fantastic. Mm-hmm. Her relationship with Danny Glover's character is so sweet. Mm-hmm. My favorite scene in the movie actually is when he's in her office and uh, he asks he asks her if if she'll marry him and she's like let me think about it but there's a a back and forth between them where well not between them there's a back and forth where she has kind of this flashback and Alec Baldwin narrates all of her previous kind of lovers and it shows these just one frame, uh, moving images of each one, and one of them is like a Swedish mountain climber, and he's standing there. He's covered in snow, and there's all these people standing behind him. They're all carrying like husky dogs over their shoulders. There's another one. His name his name is Yasuo Oshima, which I think is a reference to a, a, a Japanese director. Oh, really? Um, yes. Hmm. But he's like an architect and he's standing there with a blueprint and he looked like very clean cut. (laughs) There's What was the other one? There's another guy who's definitely a movie director and he's wearing glasses that have two different colored lenses. And it just cracks me up. Just like all these kind of throwaway characters that Wes Anderson likes to come up with and just like kind of place in. just Each character is just kind of like a one-liner joke. I really like that. I think that's fun.
1: No, for sure. I would love to see just like be on the set while he's doing it because you have – this very distinct style that you you know you see when you're immersed in the movie but i'd love to see it happening but kind of through the lens of the real world because like i just i don't know in my mind i even imagine behind the scenes it looking as kind of i don't know super composed even though it's not but i would just like love to see like the contrast between those two things for sure
0: yeah, you yeah, know they're convincing enough that you see these characters that are just throwaways, and you see them for a second in a different location than even the movie's taking place and you're taking place in, and you say, "I want to see that movie."
1: Yeah,
0: or, I feel that way. I, it's convincing enough. He creates kind of these like smaller micro worlds that kind of pop up and appear.
1: Oh, totally. I
0: like that there's a there's another thing that's kind of like that where they're sitting at one point in the hospital, I think or in the hospital room in the Tenenbaum house and they're watching a tiny t v and Owen Wilson's character is being interviewed on some talk show and he's like strung out on drugs right but the <laughs> the talk show host is not helpful. he's asking these weird questions <laughs> and it's, um and it's just it's just like a solid minute and a half of you zooming out slowly from this little t v and like this weird dialogue from Owen Wilson. I I could watch a whole movie of that. I could watch like a whole hour of that. It just is so funny.
1: Yeah. No, Wilson's character is very, I mean, I feel like he's pretty throwaway, but he's so ridiculous for the most part that it doesn't really matter that he's just kind of supposed to be like the third component of a love triangle that we're kind of over with pretty, pretty immediately after we meet him. We still, he's just so crazy because he wears, well, like cowboy gear all the time and always seems to be high. And he, at one point, like crashes a car into a mailbox.
0: And he's a writer, right? He's just like, he writes yeah, I books. I don't really, I
1: don't get him at all. But yeah, yeah, like he writes what, like, I think critically panned westerns is kind of his claim to fame. So great dude.
0: These characters are so esoteric.
1: Yeah, I love it. Do you have any fun facts since I don't have any? <laughs>
0: oh fun facts fun facts yeah. hey it's about it's that. about time yeah. unless you don't want to I would love I, I would be up. honored to take your space great and, um, it's your time to shine take your slot <laughs> you know I know you, you come into the studio and you you know fill out the little box on the wall that says this is the time slot for fun facts and uh-huh. I just kind of kicked you out of it this <laughs> this time but I've got a few. So uh, Danny Glover, Luke Wilson, and Owen Wilson all allegedly turned down roles in Ocean's Eleven to appear in this film. Oh, wow. Which maybe, right? Because Owen Wilson did co-write this film. Yeah. I guess that doesn't really matter. He could have been offered a spot in Ocean's yeah. Eleven while he was making it. So yeah. there's a fun fact.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> Probably a good choice because Ocean's Eleven's good, but you know it's not amazing, so...
0: Ooh, is that a hot take?
1: I mean, is it a generally? I feel like most people think it's fine. I could be wrong.
0: <laughs> I think that there's some people who are really into Ocean's Eleven. There
1: are some stands out there. Yeah. Well, I'm sorry for angering you. Yeah, you Ocean's Eleven stands. It's yourself. good. I enjoy it. Star-studded. So so light. Steven Soderbergh directed it. That's really all I care about.
0: Are you Are you down for Ocean's Eight?
1: Oh, totally. Yeah. Oh, oh, thousand percent. People <laughs> in Chet's in it. I mean, that's really all it takes for me. I haven't seen and the trailer Rihanna. yet. I haven't seen the trailer. I haven't either. Yet. I just know the cast is great. And
0: my girlfriend was telling me that she was kind of disappointed in the level of heisting that they're doing. I want are They're crashing like a, like a red carpet for celebrities to mm-hmm. steal a diamond necklace. Great. And she's like, I want them to steal from something that's not just diamonds on a person.
1: <laughs> they can do whatever they want.
0: But it does bring us back. The Great Muppet Caper, the greatest movie where somebody has their diamond stolen, mm, and we sure. still need to do an episode on it.
1: Yeah, of course.
0: It's gonna happen. Yeah, one day. <laughs> one day we'll do the Great Muppet Caper. <laughs> It'll be our swan song. Great, perfect. It'll be the day that people finally tune in and listen to our podcast. <laughs> the Great Muppet Caper on iTunes. Like wow, when on that? <laughs> oh, my gosh. The idea for Gwyneth Paltrow's character Margot losing her finger. Was originally written for the character of Margaret, Margaret Yang in Rushmore. Oh wow! So that character was originally supposed to have a wooden finger. Apparently.
1: Oh wow! I'm glad Margaret Yang didn't have to suffer through that. Yeah, she went like through her. enough. Yeah, she, she went, really went through did. enough. That would have just been the icing on the cake. Yeah. Of her sad life.
0: You know, Jason Schwartzman's character was already rude enough to her. So rude. If she was missing that digit, I think it would have <laughs> been, I think it would have been a little much. So good, <laughs> good call there, Anderson. Good call. Back for real. Another allegedly. Allegedly, Gene Wilder was offered the royal oh, yeah. role of Royal Tenenbaum, but he turned it down because he was retired at that point.
1: I would imagine. Also, I think Gene
0: Wilder would have been a little over the top. He's for too this whimsical. Character. I don't think he <laughs> he's could pull too it off. He's
1: just too much.
0: And then lastly, the last fun fact I got here... Which is definitely the most Wes Anderson, the most esoteric one I could find, was that the brand of cigarettes that are smoked by Margot were only sold in Ireland. Oh, my God. And were discontinued in the 1970s. (laughs) So they they had that there so that anybody, I guess, born before then and who maybe had smoked those in Ireland and saw the movie would go... That's weird that this character is smoking those. And in the hopes that it would add a little more depth and weirdness to this character. For the three people who probably looked at it and said, I recognize those. They don't make those anymore. It was probably very helpful. Yeah. For me, I did not notice. No. But I'm happy that it happened.
1: That's such a weird detail. That like kills me that he would go to that. No, there's just no point. But I guess whatever. It's it's Wes Anderson. You know, I
0: feel like Wes Anderson, though, is probably the kind of guy who has...
1: Co just has them
0: around. No, I was going to say des- like design books, you know, like the coffee table oh, yeah, reading, totally. like big thick books mm-hmm. that are just all about product design sitting yeah. around. He probably just slips through them and has favorites and he's, no, he probably has people on set that he just points to and he's like, you see these in this book? I want these. Yeah. Get these for me for my movie, please. Thank you.
1: He's got to just have like encyclopedic knowledge, like not even in terms of just like product design, but just, I don't know. I feel like there's nothing, there's no obscure reference that he doesn't know.
0: I would like to see what Wes Anderson's record collection looks like.
1: I'd love to see. i just love to see his house. Like, what is any of that like?
0: What if, what if he's pulling a fast one on us, though, and, like, he has the most normal, boring house ever? It
1: probably. That'd be crazy. I, I can't imagine it, though. There's like, no way.
0: I just want there to be a bunch of, like, mounted animals in his house <laughs> and, like, big stacks of books and, like, uh-huh. I don't know, a model train that comes in and out of the wall. You know, something <laughs> weird. There's got to be. I, I bet he's got I bet he's got a bunch of camping supplies that he like lays out on his table meticulously Definitely. and labels with the actual name of the camping supplies of next to it. Yeah. <laughs> do you think he journals? I don't
1: know. Maybe. Do people journal? Is that a thing? Yeah.
0: Like like a diary.
1: Oh, yeah. Maybe. I always like think of that as being something that like either Stevie Nicks does or I don't know. Just like something in like a high school movie, but who knows? I've always like thought it'd be a good idea, but I can never bring myself to do it. Journaling's good. But what i heard just it's write, very,
0: very stress relieving.
1: I would just be like, "I'm stressed," and that's it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> maybe, maybe you could write something more constructive about maybe. it. Maybe I don't, I don't know. know. It might take a little practice.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> what did you think of the fact that it's set in New York, but that? They're they live in Harlem. Yeah, and their house is really big and beautiful, and they're super. Everything's rich and nice on the inside. But then the rest of the shots are outside and in the city. They're in these like weird, run down backyards with these rusty gates, and everything's just like kind of trash. And there's the gypsy cabs. There's the the um, the service, the mm-hmm. uh, cab service. That's like these rusty cars that have like cardboard for windows. Uh. It's this weird <laughs> kind of dynamic where everything that the Tenenbaums have, like, is indicative of all this money, but then their whole environment is, like, very poor-looking. Yeah. I don't know if that is supposed to be a message of anything. Uh, It's strange to me that that's there. Well,
1: I wonder if it's, like, kind of touching upon how they used to be, like, a famous family that was pretty prominent in popular culture, and so maybe, like, their kind of over-the-top existence is kind of that's like representing what they used to be and how it's kind of crumbling almost. And then the outside world of, I don't know, this harsh world, realistic environment coming to terms with that. I don't know. We're at odds with that. Maybe. That's probably Maybe. too far. Yeah, but I don't know. It's like... I think it also just touches on, I don't know, just how much they stick out in general when they're in public or does, how they're perceived. That does make sense. Yeah.
0: I love all the scenes where they have Gene Hackman and Kumar Polana uh, you know his friend from the coffee shop, mm-hmm. uh, who appears in all of his movies <laughs> except for one of them. I think it's the Life Aquatic; he doesn't appear in, and then he died, so he wasn't in. Oh, the sad. Ones too. Unfortunate. Yeah. The two of them are just walking around the streets of New York in a couple of shots, just dressed as the elevator elevator men in the really fancy suits with the <laughs> big hats. It's pretty shocking there when they're walking around in those like very dramatic looking uniforms and everything is kind of crumbling around them
1: oh totally but
0: yeah I, I it's it's an interesting environment and i think it's kind of different than most of the rest of his films
1: i feel like his characters are so eccentric that you're you very aware that they're they're definitely not direct reflections of people of the everyday i mean you, they certainly have components that are recognizable in lots of people but they are very much anderson characters so i like having that this understanding that like they actually are these odd creations and like we are in this real world but just the one they're living in is kind of their own it reminded me of like the I don't know why but like the 90s Brady Bunch movie where like they're all like all the Bradys are like living in like the 70s in their mind but everyone else around them is still like 90s so it's almost like that to me where like that almost makes them more fun characters because they don't really adhere to just the normalcies of real life
0: so I think that's it I think that's what we've got For the Uh, most part. I think I should, before we get into recommendations, I want to leave us with a quote from the film, which I think is is the best one. And I think it's the most positive one. And I think it's a way that maybe more of us should live our lives. (laughs) And this is after Gene Hackman's character is found out by the family to not be dying. (laughs) And he's on the street. And I think he's talking to to Luke Wilson. And Luke says, Dad, you were never dying. And Gene Hackman says, But I'm going to live that's good very excitedly like (laughs) you know if you're doing good take advantage of that
1: you got to take advantage got to take advantage and even
0: after he's not dying he still does his best Mm -hmm. he learns his lesson he does his best to make his family happy and he he seems to do that by the end which is good even it's like kind of a little bit of a redemption for him yeah so
1: definitely love that positive note gotta be positive
0: (laughs) all right so, final thought?
1: Final thought. This isn't my favorite Anderson movie by any means, but it is my favorite that we've watched so far as part of this West Wednesday little tradition. So, yeah, I would I would say definitely check this out if you're a fan. I think it is probably a good starting point for newcomers as well. I don't feel like it's, it's a lot more successful than his other two movies that we watched. So, good performances, a lot more star-studded than usual. And I think the Anderson aesthetic is... You know, at its at its peak here, so just check it out.
0: You know, I think this is this is not my favorite one that we've watched so far. Mm-hmm. I think I don't. Uh, this may be offensive to you. <gasps> I don't even I know. what you said, but I, I think I think Bottle Rocket's my favorite of the three right. we've seen so far. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I don't really like Rushmore very much. <gasps> yeah, I don't. Either. Um, this one this one is fun, and a little <gasps> bit rambly, but I think that. I think that Bottle Rocket's still my favorite of the three we've seen so far. But All right. Um, I think, yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> controversial, right. Aiden. Yeah. Well, I, I kind of enjoy that movie. I, the brand of comedy is a little more up my alley in that one, Yeah, I think. true. For this film, I think it just goes on a little long for me. It feels yeah. like it drags. I think that this this film really does establish what Anderson is going for, and... I think it's fitting that there's that Saturday Saturday night live sketch that came out. I don't think it was too long after this movie came out where they parody this. And there's a character that looks just like Gwyneth Paltrow, <laughs> dressed in the same coat and everything. I think this film establishes Wes Anderson's style in a really solid way. It gives us an idea of what's to come.
1: I'll wow. probably end
0: up seeing it again one day, but yeah, I'm if sure if you, you if you haven't seen that Saturday night live sketch, see that.
1: Are you talking about that one? Like there's like the one where I think Edward Norton guest starred. Yes. Is that the one you're talking about? Yeah.
0: Was that maybe after Moonrise Kingdom came out? I
1: feel like that was like Grand Budapest. Like that was so late. Was that it was really so swat on. I love that. Okay, well, if you haven't LA. seen that and you, mm-hmm. you want to really get an good.
0: idea of the Wes Anderson <laughs> parody video, that so that's great. the one. It's very good. <laughs> it's amazing. What are, what are your recommendations this week, Blake?
1: So I just went with some movies that I thought had, like, interesting familial dynamics like this movie does. So my first one is Lawrence Kasdan's I Love You to Death, which is a 1990 screwball comedy. It stars Tracy Ullman as a woman who enlists the help of her mom who's played by Joan Ployrite. That's not how you say it, but whatever. And her employee, Play played River Phoenix, she enlists their help to hire a pair of hitmen, played by William Hurt and Keanu Reeves, to kill off her philandering husband, played by Kevin Kline. And that one, I feel like it's kind of been overlooked as the years have gone by, but it has a really amazing cast and kind of a screwy premise, but it touches on these kind of off-family dynamics in a way that I really enjoy, because it is... Kind of a, it's a lot darker than the world of bombs, and definitely not as substantial. Because this one is trying to be meaningful about kind of redefining yourself, I guess. And this one's just like a silly black comedy, but still very enjoyable. I really like it, and I, I feel like it's been kind of underrated. So check that one out. Another one I went with, kind of a classic movie, uh, The Best Years of Our Lives, which is basically just focuses on like a handful of families trying to readjust after the men and their family come back from World War II. And that that one's more of kind of a feel-good comedy drama for the most part. But it similarly introduces you to these characters that you really come to love and you get to kind of take a look inside the dynamics between these families and friends and kind of readjusting to a new situation. So that one's really great as well. Neither of these movies are necessarily like stylistically similar to this movie at all, but similar family themes for sure.
0: I'll provide the stylistic then. Another family dynamic movie that came out very recently that I think has kind of a similar color palette to this film mm. is Lady Bird, which we've done an episode on. Yeah, That one's definitely comedy, but also much more emotional. Yeah. Much more emotionally intense than <laughs> The Real Ten and Pounds, that's for sure. So I'd, I'd watch that if you if you want a little bit more of the, the colorful mm. family life, but also... Colorful cinematography, and then my notes here. We didn't talk about this. My notes here just say, "For more tennis, watch Annie Hall."
1: There you go. <laughs>
0: but Annie Hall kind of does have a similar kind of kitschy feel, I think, to this movie. Some of the apartments that they're in feel like they're organized in kind of a similar way. Some of Anderson's looks in his films are a little bit evocative of just that time period in general. Mm-hmm. One of the characters, Luke Wilson's play, a character is a tennis player. And there's several shots in the film of him playing tennis and him instructing small children on how to play tennis. And it reminded me of the scene where Woody Allen and Diane Keaton have their tennis match and meet in Annie Hall. So Mm, that's my recommendation. All right. That's what I got. Incredible. Incredible. Love it. Love it. If you want to hear more of us talking about movies, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Android, and on our website, uwpodcast.com. You can follow us on Twitter at The Filmcast, and you can find us on our personal accounts at Aidan Walkerow or at Blake W. Peterson. If you want to write us about a suggestion or you just want to share your thoughts, you can reach us at cinemadventurepodcast at gmail.com. If you like the show, share it with a friend, get the word out there. If you want to follow along with us, next Wednesday we're going to be watching The Life Aquatic with Steve Zissou. Wow. Uh, That's the next Anderson movie in our sequence. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.
1: Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Can't wait to see you again.
0: Can't wait to see you again.
1: drunk food is like in other places? My name is Dee Dee Madigan, host of the weekly podcast Home Plates, where I ask that question and many more. Each week, an international student joins me here in the studio to discuss their food culture. Don't miss new episodes every Wednesday right here on the Soundbite Network.